Good morning, everyone. Nice to be back here with you. I was um, just sitting earlier this morning and reflecting a little bit on just how unusual this uh, <laughs> this situation is. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, feeling a mix of... both some some sadness and longing to like be in the same space together as all of you who are who are here listening uh, so we could like see each other and you know feel what it's like to be in the room um, but then also feeling a certain uh, kind of sweetness and appreciation for uh, not only the opportunity to share and connect uh, but also there's this, for me, you know, we're, we're, we're each home, I'm assuming. And so there's, there's something sweet about kind of like inviting you into my home. You know, this is, as I've said, this is my, my office and practice space here in Richmond. And um, this uh, scroll you see behind me was given to me by um, my partner's family. She's half Chinese and her dad was a, a monk in uh, Thailand and uh, became an art collector. Uh, so that was a gift to me. And you can't see, but over here to my right is my altar. Maybe tomorrow I can set it up so you can see my altar with some pictures of my teachers and a Buddha shrine. So it's just quite lovely for me to teach from here and feel like even though we're, we're distance, we're at a distance that, um, that I'm inviting you all into my home here. So that has nothing to do with the talk today. <laughs> it's just uh, in my heart, so I wanted to share it. <clears throat> so today I wanted to build on uh, what I shared last week. And last week I spoke about patience, uh, kanti parami, this quality of endurance, uh, kind of sustaining uh, soft, open, flexible spaciousness in the heart. And the, uh, the kind of crucible that patience creates for the practice, one of these ten paramis, these ten qualities that support us in our life and on the path. And I referred last week to uh, the quality of resolve or determination and how these two work together. So today I would like to explore in more depth this, uh, this quality of resolve, and specifically um, how it supports us in both our day-to-day life and the kind of embodiment and expression of this path, as well as in the formal practice. So the word for uh, resolve, the word we translate as resolve in Pali is aditana, Uh, so translated as resolve determination, sometimes strong determination, a kind of sustaining power in the mind and the heart. The etymology of the word is instructive. So adi literally means um, higher or fuller or uh, further. So you get that sense of um, something that takes you to the next step that's, that's full, that's complete. And uh, tana, it's that retroflex T, tana is the, means something to stand on, a foundation. It's the same word that we find in the Satipatthana Sutta, the, um, 
the root, uh, ta, literally means to stand. So you get the sense of a foundation, something you can stand upon, a, a complete and firm establishment. So there's a sense of support, a basis inside the heart that comes from being able to make a resolve and stick with it. There's something steady and strong there. Uh, other words in English that kind of fill out the meaning of this sense of resolve, aditana, is commitment, like a firm and solid commitment, or follow-through, reliability. It has all of those nuances to it. Now, this quality of aditana, of, of resolve, commitment, a firm establishment, uh, what's so powerful about it is it's kind of like, like the engine for the um, furthering development and completion of all of the other paramis, right? So we look at the 10 paramis, it begins with dana, sila, nekama, generosity, uh, ethical living, uh, kind of sensitivity of the heart, and renunciation, simplicity. We can practice those. Uh, we start to see the value of them in our lives. feels good to give. We don't want to cause harm. Uh, there's a certain kind of spaciousness, a lightness and openness that comes from practicing letting go, relinquishment, living with simplicity. Um, and then we come to our edges, right? It's like, well, I don't really want to give that. I've given enough. Or, you know, we see the way the mind um, with ethics will not perhaps make gross uh, transgressions, but maybe we cut corners here and there. It's, oh, it's, you know, it's not going to, no one will notice or... So what takes us to what helps us to kind of cross that threshold of where we're comfortable, what we can um, cultivate within our normal range is aditana, aditana with patience, the the firm resolve to stay with it and really develop something, and then the patience to bear with everything that that entails. So when we consider the uh, the aim, the goal, the promise of the Buddhist path and of contemplative practice in general. We're not talking about self-help. Right? We're not talking about being a little bit more comfortable in life. We're not talking about tidying up our personality so that you know we feel a little bit better about ourselves or we're more likable to others. We're talking about a very profound transformation at the very, at the base of the heart and the mind, uh, a complete kind of revolution of our orientation to being alive to ourselves, to others, to the world. And for that kind of transformation, for that kind of um, deep and radical liberation, it takes some work. Anything worthwhile in life takes energy and determination and effort. So we, we live in a very unique time, um, not specifically speaking about the pandemic, but more the modern era, where for really the first time in human history, we have access to so much teaching and information and culture, you know, uh, 
the closest thing that came to it was probably the Library of Alexandria in Egypt, which had collected so much knowledge and information from different parts of the ancient world. And today, you can learn about anything and everything like that on the internet, you know, and have access to spiritual teachings and texts that were hidden, you know, in small nooks of the world. So one of the um, challenges or, say, dangers of this is what we call the spiritual marketplace. It's like a like a buffet, you know, take a little bit of Sufism over here and I'll, you know, explore the Gnostics some. And, oh, Kabbalah sounds interesting. I'll explore the Sefirot and do a little, you know, chanting and maybe dabble in some Buddhist meditation. I'll do some visualization. And we kind of move from one thing to the next without ever really deepening the heart. So um, the Indian teacher... Um, S.N. Goenka really popularized Vipassana uh, and his retreats are still happening around the world. These 12-day Vipassana retreats are quite rigorous but uh, powerful training. He uses a very wonderful analogy. Uh, He says, you know, if you want to dig a well, if you want to get water, you can dig 10 wells one foot deep and you're never going to get water. Or you can have the determination and the patience to dig one well 10 feet deep until you get water. And so this is, this is the, um, the power of the quality of aditana, is that when things get hard or uncomfortable, we don't just move on to something else. We stay with it and keep digging, keep um, plumbing the depths of a particular practice, technique, or path until we realize the fruits. And this takes uh, determination, it takes energy, it takes that firm basis inside to be able to work through the resistance, the doubt, um, to stick with the ups and downs that are inevitable in, in any endeavor, really. You know, we're not only talking about spiritual practice here because these, these qualities support us in our life. So, you know, whether it's advancing one's career by getting a new degree or learning a new skill, um, or making your primary relationship as rich and nourishing as possible, or raising a child, or building a house. All of these take patience, determination, energy, a certain kind of wisdom and intelligence. So these qualities come to bear on all activities of our life and invite a a richness and a level of fulfillment and satisfaction that's not available if we're not bringing them to the moment. Without this quality of strong determination, our intentions are fairly flimsy. How can we follow through if we don't have that determination? (laughs) I think most of us experience this every year in January, where we make some, you know, very... uh, uh, lofty resolutions and maybe we stick with it for a few weeks and then eventually it tapers off so why well that firm foundation that that commitment and follow-through hasn't been uh, cultivated it's that quality that has the staying power to carry us through 
the inevitable tendency of the mind to retreat into its comfortable place and not stay with it when we come up against our edge. There's another uh, aspect of the dominant culture here in the West that can get in the way of our spiritual practice. So not just the kind of sampling things or um, the tendency towards instant gratification, right? Which is so reinforced by technology and that the pace at which our devices move that we, we get that feedback so instantaneously our whole nervous system kind of gets wired to how come it's not working? I want the results right away. And so the spiritual practice transformation of the heart occurs on a different time scale. It's more like a, like a plant blooming or a, a chrysalis opening. It, it takes its own time. It's an organic process. And so that one needs that determination and patience to bear with it. Another aspect of our culture, the dominant culture that is here in the West that can work against us in spiritual practice is this um, association between freedom or liberation and not having any constraints. Kind of being, you know, free means I can do whatever I want. This is a, a passage from Ajahn Sachito's book Parami. He says, when we first come to Buddhist practice, we may feel it's about freedom from commitment, that liberation is about openness, spontaneity, and being with the moment. The idea of being boundless and free is attractive, and we can assume that this comes around through not having any commitments or aims. Sounds familiar, right? That ethos that we see in, um, in dominant Western culture. Of course, there's some limitations inherent in that that view, that orientation, right? If we're always just following our desire, I'm just going to do what I want. In some way, it means we're still bound to the impulses and whims of our mind, right? Because what happens when we can't follow our desire or whim and be free because of other constraints? We haven't trained the heart to to be free in those circumstances. So rebelling against structure and commitment and rules is just the other side of the coin as being like overly fixated and obsessed with rules. You have to do it right. Everything has to be this way. You go to the other extreme. It's still in that polarity. We're still bound up in needing things to be a certain way. It's just the opposite way. So any freedom that depends on specific circumstances externally or internally like the absence of rules or constraints, isn't true freedom. That's not what the Buddha was talking about when he talked about awakening. So as we reflect on this, we perhaps start to recognize that uh, deeper inner freedom comes not from getting our way, from not having rules or being spontaneous and free and open, but working through the reactivity and the rigidity of the mind and to do that takes having this firm, steady inner basis. It takes resolve to be able to dig the well and plumb the depths of something. So how do we develop resolve? Uh, what are the different 
considerations in looking at this quality and how it can support us in both our life and our meditation practice. This is what I'd like to explore um, this morning with you for, uh, for the, rest of the rest of the time we have. So the, uh, the first and perhaps most important factor uh, to consider that supports our development of resolve is wisdom. Panya in, uh, in the Pali, sometimes translated as discernment, that, that capacity to uh, understand what's helpful from what's not helpful, what leads in the direction of our own welfare, others' welfare and peace, and what goes in the other direction. So we need some wisdom and discernment to choose helpful resolutions. Like, what do I commit myself to? What's actually worth following through on to train the heart? If we don't choose our commitments wisely, we can end up with putting a lot of energy into something that's not useful or feeling resentful or ending up just giving up and feeling apathetic. So, you know, I think many of us have probably had experiences in life where we find ourselves, say, in a relationship that we have unwittingly committed to without really sussing it out and finding this is not serving. And it can be very difficult to extract ourselves from that or perhaps in a smaller way, you know, doing a task that we agreed to, but which we really didn't want to do and don't see the value of. And so it takes that initial sense of being able to assess the situation and say, what's worthwhile here in order to have a firm resolve that is furthering, that is helpful in our lives. So um, one of the very common things we see in, uh, in spiritual practice is this, uh, particularly among young men, uh, I know myself earlier in my practice and many of my, some of my friends and colleagues is a kind of sort of macho, reckless, I'm going to achieve enlightenment and, uh, you know, come what may and not really recognizing, not having wisdom about that. And that can show up in a lot of different ways. It can show up as you know, sitting for long hours without having the internal capacity to really do that and injuring yourself, literally. You know, uh, one friend, one old friend who hurt his back early in his practice. Another friend who's today a meditation teacher who has a, a injury in his butt from having sat too long and not heeded the signals of his body. So it takes wisdom to know how to apply the mind and what to really firmly commit to and when to be able to adjust. There's a phrase that a colleague of mine uh, in the nonviolent communication world training that I do, Mickey Kashtan, uses that I love. She talks about strategic discomfort. And uh, this, is a, this is about a certain wisdom. We, to grow, to learn, means moving out of our comfort zone. If we just choose the things that feel okay, we don't grow. We stay complacent. But if we go past a certain threshold, we just get overwhelmed or flooded or shut down. It's also not useful. So there's this 
middle way. There's this middle ground of what she refers to as strategic discomfort. It's just enough discomfort to help us to learn and grow. It's that friction of the grain of sand in, um, in a shell that makes the pearl. Uh, referencing the, the sutta that I referred to yesterday in the guided meditation. is that sense of not too tight, but not too loose either. So as we consider what resolves to take on in our life, what to commit ourselves to, what we want to focus on, both in our uh, formal meditation practice and in our life itself as a cultivation, we need to take into account our capacity. What am I working with here? The, uh, the great Thai forest meditation master and teacher of the last century, Ajahn Chah, uh, from Thailand, he had a wonderful analogy for this, uh, speaking to some of his monks and practitioners. He said, you think you're working, he's talking about the mind and the body as a vehicle for awakening. And he said, you think you're working with an 18-wheeler truck this big engine and this huge mass and momentum, he said, but really you're just pulling a little child's wagon. (laughs) So there's a level of honesty we need with ourselves to determine what resolves are useful. So some questions we can ask ourselves in this way. What will help me strengthen my mind? What will help deepen or open my heart? We started this retreat earlier in the month talking about the right tone of practice and the tone of being a good friend to oneself. And so we can use that tone, we can draw on that to access the wisdom that helps us choose our resolves wisely. So if, uh, if it were a friend talking to you, what would they say your good qualities are that you could deepen? What would a friend point out and say, you know, this is something I really appreciate about you. So we find those good qualities and we say, let's build on that. Let's really take that to the highest level. Or the inverse. What would a friend point out to you? What would a friend say, you know, Oren, I love you dearly. <laughs> and sometimes you get a little, a little too focused on getting the job done and you lose connection. This is feedback I've gotten more times than, than I care to admit that when I, when I get really focused on a task, uh, I sometimes lose the human heart relational aspect and I can value efficiency and getting the job done over the human connection. And it's, it's quite painful for me to see that and quite humbling to see how deeply rooted that pattern is because it causes harm. I've even lost a friend because of it where some unconscious male privilege was was playing out and uh, landed as very sexist in my desire to get something done. And it was so painful for, for this friend and colleague that she said, you know, I, don't, I really don't want to have anything to do with you. So what would a friend reflect back to us and say, hey, you know, this pattern, you could you could work on this. Or another way to turn it around is, Think about some patterns that you have, and if you saw that in a friend, you would want them to to be aware of it. We support each other as friends in this way by pointing out lovingly the things that that are covering our beauty, the beauty of the heart, that we say, you know, if, if you paid a little more attention to this, that would be for your welfare. So this can help us choose what qualities to be strengthened, 
what what patterns to work work out. How do we let ourselves down in life? This is a great area to uh, develop some resolve. For example, a very common one, I could be a little kinder to myself. Very often I hear from students, you know, so cruel. And I know for myself, before before doing all this practice, the mind was so harsh inwardly. And I've really seen that shift. It's very possible to shift that, that harshness and cruelty inside. It's a very worthwhile effort to make something worth committing yourself to and making a resolve. So as we make a resolve, some of the energies that we're working with, we're, we're looking at the, 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 the kind of the tendency for the mind to work in polar opposites. So on the one hand, we, we vacillate, we get ambiguous. Well, maybe I'll do it. I'm not sure. It's kind of Or we flip over to the other side of this kind of very tight, forceful pushing and pressure. So we're looking for that firmness and clarity that that steps outside of that whole polarity. So the wisdom is to choose the resolve. What's going to be helpful for me? Knows what my capacity is. And then the, uh, the factor of uh, sampajanya, full awareness, a kind of intuitive knowing and understanding, keeps track of what's happening as we practice with a resolve. It gives us feedback to know, okay, how's this going? Is this helpful? Do I need to adjust? So I, uh, I referenced Goenka, Goenkaji a little bit earlier, this very powerful, well-known teacher from India, Earlier in my practice, I sat a number of retreats in his tradition. And he has these, uh, they're called aditana sits, sit of strong determination for a whole hour. You're, you're not supposed to move. You make a firm resolve to not move at all during this sitting. And the first sitting of the day in his uh, retreats is a two-hour sitting. And I would take on the firm resolve for two hours to not move. So, you know, I was, what, 24 years old, uh, maybe 23, 23 years old. And um, so the body could take it. But what was learned? Not much. What was reinforced was just a kind of rigidity, just to prove something that I could do it. There wasn't any wisdom involved. It was just sheer willpower. This is only helpful to a certain point. Fortunately, I didn't injure myself. So, for example, a resolve we might take on, we want to sit for a little bit longer. So instead of I'm going to sit for 90 minutes, you know, well, let's try sitting for 10 minutes more. And then you increase it slowly, incrementally, one week at a time. So we determine a resolve. We, we, we figure out, we get a sense this is going to be helpful. How do we then make the resolve? So first thing that's important is to make it really specific. Uh, so like, I want to be kinder to myself. It's very general. But what are we actually doing? What are we committing to do? So you might say, well, every time I notice that harsh voice inside, I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a deep breath. And then I'm going to do this instead. Maybe I'll say a couple of metaphrases or... Um, 
I'll connect with the, my own goodness. Uh, I'll reflect on someone I've helped as a way of balancing things, or I'm going to relate to that voice in a particular way with empathy or firmness. So making it really, really clear and specific what it is you're going to do. So it's not just a general, vague kind of thing. I want to cultivate this quality. It has to be practical. And then as you, as you uh, identify what that is you're going to commit to, say it to yourself silently, out loud, and see how does the heart respond. Right? We can feel it when there's still that kind of wishy-washy vacillation. It's like setting your alarm in the morning, right? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I know there's a difference between setting my alarm and knowing I'm going to get up. Like, okay, I'm going to get up at, say, 6 or 6.30 tomorrow. And setting the alarm and being like, well, maybe I'll snooze a little bit. There's still that kind of shakiness inside. So keep coming back to it and saying it again and again until you feel something settle inside, until you can feel that, that firm, solid, and stable base. There's something in the heart that has made up its mind, that's committed. I'm going to do this. And then once you feel that stability to the degree that it's accessible for you in the moment, concretize it. So make a physical gesture, write it down, get an object to represent it and put it someplace where you'll see it, um, or really wonderful way to uh, hold yourself accountable to a resolve is tell a friend tell someone in your life and ask them to check in with you and hold you accountable. So this is how we, we come to that place of gathering our resources, choosing something wise to commit to, and then, and then establishing it, marking that in the mind. Then the process of the aditana is one of, of following through. And this is where the patience and the aditana work together. Is it's not that kind of blind, narrow fixation. I'm going to muscle through this no matter what, but more of an opening. As, as we encounter the inevitable resistance, whining, uh, the not wanting, the rationalizing, the avoiding, the just the straight up forgetting that comes up, can we bear witness? Can we use our practice of mindfulness and kindness and clarity to open to what's happening and just continue to stay with it? To witness how the heart and the mind respond in the face of a constraint, of a self-imposed constraint that has at its heart compassion and wisdom. This is for my welfare. I am voluntarily taking this on. And then you watch the mind kind of vacillate and struggle and resist. And you just keep holding the space. Yeah, that's okay. That can come up. The mind will do anything it can to convince us to get out of something uncomfortable. And you can watch, you can watch it, you can see what happens if I follow that impulse. Then we simply reinforce those patterns and that chain, that, that being bonded to needing our preferences and comfort and things to be the way we want. Ironically, if we resist them, 
that kind of, I got to get out of this. I'm not going to do this. Whatever it is, whether it's exercising or addiction. I mean, all of this is addiction. Right? What we're talking about is that the mind and the heart are addicted to its own constructions and neuroses of operating in life. And, and the aditana, the wise aditana, reveals those constrictions and says, let's get free here. Let's take this one and work with it. And then obviously if we follow it, we fail, we, 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 fail, we reinforce it. But if we resist it, we also reinforce it. If we fight against it and say, no, 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 don't do it, and we, and we struggle and we tighten, we're, we're, we are still pushing against it and reinforcing it. So the path and the practice is one of witnessing it with awareness, staying with whatever comes up and allowing the heart to feel, to, uh, to experience it with full awareness. And this is where the patience comes in, having the patience to bear with it. Like that image I used uh, yesterday, of, uh, last week, of starting a fire with, uh, with two sticks of wood. That patience to just keep going, bearing with it, without needing to fix it or change it or resolve it or figure it out. For me... Um, I've had these experiences in my, in my, I'm not even going to say my practice, just in my life, because it doesn't only happen when I'm meditating formally, where I would get these terrible sensations, mostly in my legs, but sometimes throughout my body, of just this excruciating, like, like a tearing sensation in the large muscles of the legs and sometimes the arms, just unbearable. Often when like lying in bed, uh, before sleeping, or sometimes when sitting, meditating. Later I've learned this is a medical condition, sometimes called restless leg syndrome. It's idiopathic in nature. They don't know where it comes from. Uh, it passes eventually. It was very fat, very interesting to watch the mind. It's so unbearable, so unpleasant. And the mind is sitting there going, I can't bear it, I can't bear it, it's too much. And this is where the patience is just one moment. To just breathe, okay, out breath, feel the intensity of it. And one moment and witnessing the, the sirens of the mind, I can't bear this. And one moment at a time finding, ah, I am bearing it. This is, this is how we develop the strength of resolve. Not by cleaning up the mind or making it look pretty and attractive inside or out, not by having some ideal experience or, you know, being the perfect meditator and never having doubt or sleepiness or restlessness, but by bearing with all of it, by consciously witnessing, opening to and experiencing intimately everything that comes up. And what we find is that in the awareness that, that can witness, that can hold and know all of the changes, everything that's revealed, the mind discovers something more reliable and peaceful, not in the content of our experience, but in the awareness and the relationship. 
And then the heart realizes the nature of things, that they pass, that they're not personal, that they're not reliable, and sees the the deception of resistance, that it promises freedom but only digs us deeper into our confines. A very powerful image uh, that comes to us from the Buddha about resolve. After six years of ascetic practices, these tapas, phrase I used last week about patience, tapas, uh, austerity, uh, ascetic practice, extreme practices of mortifying the body, you know, not eating, not sleeping. The Buddha finally discovered this middle way, that it wasn't through these extremes of indulging in sense pleasure or denying the body, that the way through to freedom was was transcending those extremes. When he finally sat down to free his heart and mind, he made this resolve. He said, though skin, sinews, and bones wither away, Though flesh and blood of my body might dry up, I shall not give up my efforts till I have attained whatever is attainable by heroic perseverance, aditana, energy and endeavor. And so he sat beneath the Bodhi tree uh, along the banks of, the, of, the, of this river in what is now Budgaya. And that night, as the texts and the legends go, he was beset by fear and doubt and desire, the kind of, it's called the host of Mara, all of the temptations and kind of darkness of the mind came to torment and tempt him. And at this crucial moment, the kind of one of the last ditch efforts of the kind of personification of of these constrictions, and torments of our heart and mind, Mara, the personification of those energies came and said, who do you think you are to awaken, to be sitting there seeking enlightenment, self-doubt? And the Buddha's response was to reach down with one hand and touch the earth. The earth is my witness, my right to be here, that I belong that this is our birthright as human beings and the the strength of all the practice he had done. And that determination, as that moment of touching the earth, of calling on something deeper, something greater than the small sense of self to bear with what's happening. So in, the, in this witnessing, in this being with what happens, the, um, the actual work of resolve, the process of cultivation that it entails, wisdom is still present. It's, the, it's our intelligence kind of reevaluates and supervises what's happening and is able to adjust. It moderates things. So the, the key here is, is the graduated training. We, we take it one step at a time. So you make a resolve, say, for a week. And you observe and then reevaluate. So at the end, you can step back and reflect and say, okay, how did it go? What did I learn? Was this a useful aspiration? Was this within my right range or capacity? Did it challenge me enough? 
Was it too much? Is there some other support that's needed? Right? And so it's not that we're like hell-bent on something no matter what. There's this narrow, blind fixation. But there's the ability to adjust and to modulate as we get feedback. So the, the method here, the insight here, is it's not about succeeding or failing. It's not about I win or I lose, I get it right or I get it wrong. The point is to learn. And if the point is to learn, everything is information. Everything is fuel and fodder for awakening. So if the resolve is held properly with kindness and compassion, with interest, with a deep intention to learn and for our own welfare, then, quote, failure you know, not being able to make it and follow through is just more information. It's just part of the learning. The Winston Churchill, in one of his Dharma moments, he said, success is the ability to go from one failure to the next with no loss of enthusiasm. And the uh, author and motivational speaker, Alan Kay, he once said, if you don't fail at least 90% of the time, then you're not aiming high enough. We're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of what it, would, what it might mean, what it might mean about who we are. There's a powerful quote from Malcolm X from his autobiography. He wrote, Children's have a lesson that adults should learn to not be ashamed of failing, but to get up and try again. Most of us adults are so afraid, so cautious, so safe, and therefore so shrinking and rigid and afraid that that is why so many humans fail. Most middle-aged adults have resigned themselves to failure. So taking that sting out of the, the perception of failure, that's not what it's about. It's about trying and learning from whatever happens. So ultimately, the aim the trajectory of these resolves is to free the heart. It's not about um, becoming a better person or being more attractive or likable, although that, that unfolds, that's a byproduct, but that's not the goal. So even though resolve, the sense of determining and committing to something, can begin with a sense of self and a kind of individual willfulness, uh, if it's not held properly uh, and directed by wise intention, it can lead to a kind of conceit, a sort of reinforcing of the sense of self. Either I'm, you know, I'm so much better than others and this kind of puffed up self-righteous feeling, or that the comparison goes in the other direction and, you know, I'm, I'm such a failure, I'm worthless, I can't do anything. And even on more subtle levels as we take on different resolves in our life and our practice, if we're not looking deeply, they can begin to reinforce the idea of a person, of someone doing something to get somewhere in the future. And there we are, caught in time again. So it's important to come back to the, the, the foundation of, of uh, wise intention and uh, samasankapa, the, this path factor of our motivation which is about kindness, about compassion. So this, is, this means that, that the resolves are rooted in a, a deep intention in knowing and commitment to our own welfare and the welfare of others. 
how do we how do we reduce suffering in our life and the lives of others and the and the uh, motivation the intention for relinquishment for letting go ultimately that this is in the service of letting go so the buddha talks about uh four grounds for resolve in meditation the resolve on wisdom which you've been talking about this is the resolve we use wisdom to assess what's helpful what's not and in our meditation practice we use wisdom to determine okay what what practice is helpful for me what technique is useful in my training right now and what particular meditation object is it the breath is it sound is it metta what theme will further this heart and mind's growth and development and then the wisdom to observe and track how is this going is this leading towards more calm and understanding uh letting go of the hindrances and stabilizing steadying the heart if not what's needed to adjust so the resolve on wisdom the resolve on truth this is a very um equally powerful and profound resolve what is the truth what is true at every level one of my first teachers said you wouldn't know the truth if it came up and bit you on the nose <laughs> because i had so many ideas about what would happen and what i was looking for in my practice what is the truth the truth is i feel restless my nose itches there's doubt well if that's what's happening in the moment that's the truth in that moment so the resolve on truth means initially being willing and able to meet the truth of our moment to moment experience and then taking that commitment to the deepest level having the strength of resolve to plumb the depths of what it is to be human what it is to be alive who we really are so the resolve on wisdom the resolve on truth resolve on relinquishment that the ultimate aim and goal is letting go not getting something becoming something but releasing and the resolve on calm that we learn to steady and quiet the mind in order to see the truth clearly and let go so without this quality it's very difficult to make progress on the path we end up taking a few steps down the trail and then it gets as soon as it gets hard oh i'll take a break or i can go back to that other place that was nicer we can get in these eddies in our practice where we get stuck in kind of feeling peaceful or quiet or thinking about things and not continuing to penetrate and the buddha called patience the supreme austerity the highest ascetic practice kanti paramita potitika so the patience to bear with what's happening supported by the resolve to stay with it to free the heart to go to the deepest level it's not easy being human walking this path and particularly for all of us these days it's calling on all of our resources to be with what's happening the buddhist teacher bikubodi uh, translator 
Put it very simply, the power of this quality when he said, to arrive at the goal and complete this path takes only two things, to begin and to keep going. It's this quality of strong determination of resolve that allows us to keep going, to persevere together with patience when things are hard, as they are for so many of us right now. So I offer these reflections for your consideration today. Please take what's useful and the rest you can just leave aside. Thanks so much. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I uh, look forward to seeing you tomorrow. We'll have, uh, have some time for questions and discussion. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.